0: Hey everybody, welcome to the new year here on Barbecue Nation. I'm JT along with Camaro Dave, Commander Chris, coming to you from the world-famous Turning Burn Burnett Studios in Portland. The new year. God I dang, I hope it's better than 2020 was. Remember the old TV show 2020? Anyway, does not have anything on last oh, year. I guess not. I guess not. I don't watch too much TV anymore. Uh as far as that don't kind either. of stuff. Uh, we'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, the beef the beef the way nature intended. You can check them out at paintedhillsnaturalbeef.com. Okay. Uh Ed Riley, you may not know him. You may not have heard of him yet, but you will very shortly here. He Ed has been in the barbecue business for a long time and he's only 12. Um, you know, but he's, he's worked all over the country, especially in the South and the Southeast. Uh, but he's, you know, been in Virginia and Texas and California. So he has made it out here to the left coast for a while. And, uh, a couple of things, Ed has, um, a very large collection of barbecues. He's also repped like Weber and charbroil and sunbeams and some of those, but, um, He's in the the, uh, the record book. So we're going to talk to him about that. We're also going to talk to him about just how he got involved in, in barbecue and this crazy world we live in. Ed uh, Riley, welcome, buddy.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you spending some time and talking with me today.
0: No worries. So let's uh, let's kind of start from the top. What triggered you to get interested and then get as involved as you are with barbecue?
1: It was one of those things that you just kind of back into. I'm originally from New Jersey, so my barbecue tradition was null and void. I mean, <laughs> even to this day, when I go home, my mom will put a put a pork shoulder in a crock pot and say, "Look, I made barbecue for you." So I don't have a, a big barbecue basis. So I was I didn't really have a, you know an impression to come into it. And I started selling as a manufacturer rep, like you mentioned, Charbroils and Sunbeams back in the day, and a lot of that included. Uh, doing demos and just outdoor cooking. And then once you start cooking for people and you see if you do a good job, I mean, you're not just doing burgers and fries, you do something different, you really make a connection with people. And all of a sudden, you're at a different level. You're talking to people about, you know, you know, th- th- where they came from. And, and that part of the history has always brought me into it. So it's a combination of, of food and history that, that really drew me into the barbecue world. And then um, you know, I just followed my passion from there.
0: You have to get kind of competent fairly quickly if you're going to do the type of work you were doing. I mean, you know, you may not be competition level, excuse me, right off the bat, but you also can't uh, stuff a piece of um, sirloin in their mouth. That's either overcooked or not cooked at all. I know that for a fact.
1: You do have to have a quality product. And I think part of mine was not to be a competition person um, I found, and, and I mean, I know we, as, as my current position, I sanction, or we, we, we partner with a lot of sanctioning bodies, so I don't want to disparage them too much. But sure. Sometimes in the sanctioning body, they tell you what to cook, and I prefer to think outside the box. I like using the most local ingredients and the freshest ingredients and cooking it, you know, you know you're know, you right, doing it right. you got to have time and temperature. That's got to be correct, but, you know, part of what I used to do, and Weber grills is when i spent the majority of my i spent 20 years with them i'd start off with eggs and bacon on a grill you know i do biscuits i do sausage biscuits sure And they're moving to pizzas and and you know and i would do quesadillas and then i would do cookies just a variety of different things if somebody would walk up and they'd be like oh i didn't know you could do that on a grill and that was the whole point of it was to leave an impression with them and and sometimes like even a chocolate chip cookie you do that on a grill it comes out like a s'more it's kind of Toasty on top and gooey in the middle, and people are like I didn't think you could do cookies on a grill. Right. Yeah, if you had the ideas, you had a, the right piece of equipment, you know, you could do anything on it, and just opening people's eyes to more things that they could cook outdoors. And I've always said that the more people outdoor cooking, the better this world's going to be. You drive into a neighborhood and you got ten people cooking outside. That's a good place to live, you know. Versus ten people inside, you know, hunkered down over TV playing the games or watching news. It's just. <laughs> it's just It's a better, you know what I'm saying, it's a better open environment, and nobody cooks outside for themselves. They're cooking for the community, your friends, your family, the church, the team. It's just a a pleasant place to be around, and I really enjoyed that that area, cooking for people, talking to people, and, and again, finding out about their traditions. And that's a big thing that I like to do is find out, what's barbecue mean to you? What's barbecue mean to you? Because... A Texan is going to tell you something different from a North Carolina is going to tell you different from a California. It's all different, but none of it's bad. It's as long as you're using the best ingredients and taking your time doing it, it's a good time.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, and you strike a good point there, Ed, where you say if you talk to somebody, even East Texas versus West Texas, you know, North absolutely. Carolina versus South Carolina. I mean, we cover all that stuff here on the show, of course. But when you talk to them, they are they are very fond of their... Area or regional style of barbecue, and they're very proud of it. Um, and which is great, I got no problems with that, but it is sometimes it kind of makes me chuckle under my breath because, um, him, you know, Billy Bob out here from West Texas, he likes it this way. Um, you know, Sue over here in South Carolina, she likes it this way, and they don't like, even
1: acknowledge each other. Yeah, like that, the will <laughs> won't even look at a pork, it's like that's not me. <laughs> you know, and, and vice versa. The Carolinas were like, well, that's not barbecue. It's like, come on, people. And then that's, the, the idea is, is, is food should be regional. You know, I don't want, when I, I'm not a big wine drinker, but I know enough about it that if I go to California, that wine should taste different than the, you know, and that's that distinctive regionality of barbecue. So the more that can be emphasized and, 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 and encouraged, I, I, you know, that's the last thing you want. I mean, McDonald's, yeah, that burger is going to taste from Maine to Miami is going to taste the same. But I don't want that with my barbecue. I don't want that with my beer. I don't want that with you know most of the different food that you travel for. Right. You want it to be distinctive to that area, and that's what's fun about barbecue for me.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, like you said, that's what makes it fun. That what is what makes it interesting. Traveling, um, you know, whether it's Texas or Florida, I don't care where you go. It's all different. It's all good. So, in the when you decided to become a sales rep many moons ago. Um. did you think at that time that barbecue would become as popular as it is today? I mean, I'm sure you hoped it would, but was there any conscious thought of in your mind saying, wow, this thing could get huge someday.
1: So as a sales rep, you know, they give us quotas and, and, you know, we've got sales this and sales that. So yeah, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how can we take this account and make this much money out of it? So I was always I'm always an op- optimistic, anyway. So I'm like, what more can we do to expand this? So yeah, I'm looking into it. But there were certain things along the way that I'm like, okay, this is changing. Where one of the big ones were um, outdoor kitchens. When outdoor kitchens started becoming popular, and they waned a little bit, but they're coming back. And then the the renaissance of charcoal cooking, because gas was all everybody. Ever did with gas cooking, and you know most of the manufacturers I work for, you know that was their main thing with gas. But when charcoal started having a resurgence, that was that to me was exciting. It was a, it was a you know, charcoal only did about five percent of our sales for the longest time, and then you started seeing it peaking. You could equate it to like craft beer, where people started keep taking specific smoke profiles and, and using them in different ways and creating something different. Ultimately, gas is odorless and tasteless; it doesn't do anything for the food. That's the marinades and the rubs. But then you add the third ingredient, the smoke flavor, that changes everything. And then, then the variety of different woods you could use and, and, and combination of woods, it's almost an infinite amount of different taste profiles that you can put on wood, whether you start with the oak and end with the cherry or the half and half cherry pecan or hickory or this. And each one of those smokes, these distinctive the particulates float out of the, the wood you're cooking or the charcoal and land on that food and change that food it makes it different. And to me, that's, you know, that to me was when that started happening, it was like, okay, this could take to a different level. I'm thinking 2006, seven, eight, somewhere in there with charcoal grilling really became, and that's about when Big green egg really started blowing up. And I'm out of Atlanta, Georgia. So that was kind of the epicenter of the ceramic grills. Um, and I'm like, okay, there is something going on here. Uh, and then people were started to spend a lot more on, on charcoal grills. I mean, you know, at the time, the Weber kettles were a hundred bucks and the egg was a thousand. I'm like, and people were buying it for that to achieve those Mm -hmm. different taste profiles that you can kind of tease out of that wood. If you slowly cook it, you know, in, in, in in the controlled environment, like an egg or something.
0: You just mentioned the Weber kettle. I mean, through everything, through all the promotions, through all the people I've talked to, all the people you've talked to, honest to God, if they ever did a King of barbecue I still think they'd have to give the Weber kettle the crown because it's so widely used. It's been around for a long time. Um, you know, they've made 52. some changes and adaptations to it, but really, it's still the best bang for the buck as far as longevity and what you can do with it. That's my thoughts.
1: You could do anything on the Weber kettle. Absolutely. You could smoke cold smoke. You could, you know, if you, I've done turkeys to cheese to pizzas and cookies on a Weber kettle. It, it is one of the most universal grills out there, and it belongs in everybody's arsenal. You, you you know, you'll have a lot of different cooking. Like in your kitchen, you've got a variety of different appliances to cook. On your deck, you're going to need a variety of different appliances to cook, too. Each one does something different. But a universal one in, in everybody's arsenal should be that Weber kettle. And I don't even work for Weber, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's how universal – that, that, that piece of equipment, and it—I believe it's been on Modern Marvels, and how they they, they went into the you know, everything that you're saying about it. It just is a perfect design for outdoor cooking. And if you're cooking just for your family, that's that's all you need. I mean, you could you could cook, you know, enough for six or eight people on that thing, and you could do big cuts of meat. Sure. Delicate things on there as well. It's just and it's durable. It's that porcelain coated enamel that you know it's got a low carbon steel in it, so it won't rust. Um, you know, just keep the ashes cleaned out and, and your legs straight, and that thing will last forever. Part of that collection, I have some Weber kettles from the 1950s. Um, I enjoy, I mean, I used to cook on them when we'd go to demos and stuff. So uh, they just, and nothing changes on them. I can go out and buy a replacement cooking grate for it today for something that they made in the
0: 1950s. Yeah, that's one of the incredible things about that. I have a, we're going to go to break here in just a second. I have a friend. Um, who I've known for a long time he just retired uh, last year he still has the same Weber kettle he's had it since we've met he bought it the same year we met and I will tell you we we met in 1986 so that tells you something there Um, and Riley and I will be back here on Barbecue Nation in just a moment Hey everybody it's jt and this is a special version of barbecue nation it is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef
1: round, round, get around i get around yeah get around round, 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 i get,
0: around, I get Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun Radio Networks. I'm JT. Uh, a couple of things. If you'd like to contact us, you can go to the website, which is just Barbecue Nation. JT. That's it. Just BBQ Nation, JT. And there's a little icon on there. You can send me a message, or you can go to info at thecowboycook.com and send me a message. That way, both of them will get directly to me eventually after that. We also have Facebook and Twitter. And I think the last count, I say this every week almost, but I think what 17 different platforms out there with the podcast version of the show. So it's very well. Received and I do appreciate all the different emails and messages people send me uh, regarding things about the show. Um, I really do. Ed Riley, yeah. Uh, One thing you might not know about Ed, Ed has got the world's largest collection of barbecues. Uh, As we were talking before the show, and you didn't hear this part of the conversation, he is stashing them in chicken coops (laughs) and uh, anywhere out of uh, the sight line of his wife. Um, but he's got a, He's got a bunch of them. And what in the world possessed you to start collecting barbecues?
1: So, as we mentioned earlier, I was working for Weber Grills. Uh, this was about 2004 or five, somewhere in there. And I was at a Lowe's store, and they had a red Weber kettle performer, new in a box. Now they stopped making red Webers in 2000, so 1999 was the end of it. So here's a new, in the box Weber kettle for 20 bucks. Yeah, I bought it for sure. I didn't want it, didn't need it. It was bigger. And we, you know, we had a small, my wife and I had a small deck and it was more than I needed. So I yep. wanted to donate it to a museum and uh, nobody had a museum for grills. I'm like, wait a minute. In my search, I found there's museums for hair. There's a mustard museum. There's a naval lint museum. There's a less shoe museum. There's a paper airplane museum. I'm like, how can something as as predominant as a grill not have a museum didn't make any toaster museums it was used for everything except a grill so upon investigation they couldn't coalesce what barbecue was so how could you have a barbecue museum where you could incorporate all these different ideas what people have barbecue if you put something in north carolina and a guy from texas comes over there and doesn't see steak that wasn't a barbecue museum vice versa or even on the west coast you guys got the santa maria style so if if something didn't a, you know, accommodate the Santa Maria style than it's a museum. So getting all that stuff under one roof was a task. I started about two thousand seven picking these things up. Um, they're they're thrown away. These people were throwing away these grills that have been in families for years and years and years. And there's a little bit of sentiment that was Going along with these people's grills. I mean, they'd let them go for five, ten bucks, but they'd be like, oh, this, this is a 40 year old grill, 50 year old grill. We don't have a use for it. But I remember my first birthday party was on this grill. I'm like, so I started keeping notes and all these things that I would get. And I would try to get pictures. Be like, hey, send me a picture of you at this grill at, when you were young. At first, I was okay, but uh, as social media got crazy, they thought it was a little spooky. So I had to stop doing that. But I kept notes on all of them, but you could pick up these grills for next to nothing. I mean, some of these older Weber grills I got for 20, 30 bucks are probably worth two or $3,000 now. I don't tell my wife that, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, so the, 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 it was easy to collect at the time and nobody else was doing it. So I just started accumulating these and started talking to local museums about starting a barbecue museum and actually eventually did get one here in Atlanta Georgia, uh, it was at the Atlanta History Center called the, uh, barbecue nation. It was a barbecue grill museum. It ran for like 13 months. Uh, and their idea was to have, uh, you know, get, get, because the mission never pays for the exhibit. You just got approved to counties and stuff like that, that enough people had to go out and spend money for lunch or, you know, Yeah. You know get a hotel room or something like that so the numbers weren't really there for this exhibit so it's right now it's another storage place I've got about 40 grills and a bunch of other paraphernalia because i had about 2500 pieces of literature books and stuff i mean that's another world record i've got is uh is the most barbecue related material like cookbooks Catalogs, um, you know, trade catalogs, stuff like that. So, twenty five hundred pieces of stuff that you know that goes along supporting it. Because you'd have to buy, you'd have to find, you know, you get an old grill, you don't know who made it or anything. Right. You go back to old Sears catalogs and Montgomery Ward's to see what you know, you know, what this model is, what this manufacturer was. Because most of them are out of business now. There's a few still in business, which is great, but most of them are gone. So that's what started it was just picking one up and finding out that you know nobody had a museum, and then. I was collecting them for the museum, but then again, that they <laughs> told me to stop.
0: <laughs> well, I was just so, wondering why you didn't reach out to like KCBS or, well, they're kind of the big. I did.
1: So, no, I, so I, I had two pallets of grills to send them. Um, this is right when they bought that new, um, they had their new
0: building. Yeah.
1: Whatever. Yeah, they had that new building, had two palaces sitting out there. I was talking to a few of them out there, and we still might do it, but I think they've since sold that, which is good. Right. I, I think part of the reason I didn't send it was because I wanted it to make sure that this was guarded. You know, this isn't stuff for, you know, I didn't want it to disappear. You know what I mean? I wanted it in a separate room, you know, you know, somewhat like this isn't, you know, I, I didn't want the pieces. I was lending it to them, if that makes any sense. And I, right. I didn't have the real sense that, that this stuff would have been that just lined in a hallway and then, Oh, I don't know what happened to that. Cause some of this stuff was one of a kind type of stuff. So, um, we were working through that and they, this was 2015, 16, 17. That's when they bought that new visitor center or whatever that headquarters were. And they've since sold it and, so they're back in storage, but yeah, so that's one. And, and I've contacted the Smithsonian and actually the, the one that's in the Smithsonian. um, I knew that guy. I mean, they were, it was a red cattle. And it's, I offered one of the newer ones I had for the Smithsonian, but they wanted one that looked like it was used a little bit. And, and that's the one that's in there now.
0: Well, just throw some charcoal dust on it, you know, <laughs> take it, take a blowtorch to the grate and you'll be fine.
1: Yeah. That's it. yeah. Or, <laughs> There, there is that there's that line if you buy something and the people who collect grills are like okay you buy something if it's never been used do you use it and I, i'm of the opinion that i don't um but if it's been used i'll use it again i'll fire it up and cook on it and i used to do a lot of like temperature checks like i put four or five oven thermometers on there and, and see if you know technology you know was better back then than it is now and if, of course now the grills nowadays are so much better so there wasn't any point in doing that but there, there are some interesting kind of you know, oddball designs going through the ages and stuff.
0: Yeah. I've run into, I've run into some of those and, and some of them, I couldn't quite figure out how they worked, you know, not these aren't Weber kettles and stuff. Most of this stuff was like homemade and somebody, you know, Billy Bob and, uh, uh you know billy bob's older brother bill um welded it right welded it and did this and then the you know the smoke and the heat comes through here and then it goes up through here and then this latch is tied to the dog's tail so every time he he wags his tail <laughs> you know it, it pushes the air through the warm air like that and so i'm you know i'm like hey i'm
1: all right i'm not you, a very you made that kind of funny but truth is there's something called a smoke jacket Back in the 18th, 16th century, they would have dogs who would actually run a wheel, run around on a wheel to turn a rotisserie pit (laughs) for you know, these big English horse and stuff that would put rotisserie stuff in there.
0: We're going to take a break here on Barbecue Nation um, on the Sun Radio Network. We're going to be back and talk to Ed Riley more right after this. If you're enjoying G.T. and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G., where we talk home improvement and design, right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com.
1: I, I love the colorful
0: everybody welcome back to barbecue nation here on the sun radio networks i'm jt i'd like to thank the folks at painted hills natural beef uh for supporting this show as they have for a long time that's painted hills natural beef um just like nature intended And it's good stuff. Also, the folks at Gunter Wilhelm Knives, um, great set of knives. You've got some birthdays coming up. You've got uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, that type of thing. Anybody that you know that works in the kitchen or in the grills, uh, outside barbecue world, uh, take a look at Gunter Wilhelm Knives. They're really good. We're talking with Ed Riley today. Ed's got a lot of um, titles. Uh, World's largest barbecue owner that is not a corporate conglomerate. you know, a lot of things like that.
1: I, th- I think it's the world's largest vintage barbecue grill collection. There so you go. Vintage. So everything, everything they counted was over twenty years old. So, I mean, I fudged on a couple of things, but most of them should have been. It was. I think the count was two thousand. What do they do? Two thousand eleven or something like that. 12, maybe somewhere in there. Right. I can't remember exactly when, but maybe, but anyway, I had to make sure everything was over 20 years old. If not, you're right. I'd be a manufacturer and I'm not a manufacturer. <laughs> I'm
0: a <good> <laughs> well, you've, uh, you've got a, um, uh, a good leg up on most people. I mean, I thought I had a lot of grills. Uh, once I started reading about you and we talked, I was like, no, I'm not even close. I mean, not, <laughs> I'm a piker when it comes to what you've got there at, so the other well, thing we want, I wanted to talk to you about was um, history of, of Georgia barbecue. You know, um, we've had Robert Moss on a couple of times. He's a friend of the show and all that. And of course, he's revised his books and, and writes his column every week. But you sent me some information that I thought was uh, really interesting that you've you kind of really dug into it. Some of the history of especially you live in Georgia now. Um, That's right. Like the first meat canned and sold was in 1926. First barbecue sauce bottled and sold was in Georgia in 1908. Um, First barbecue restaurant was over in Albany, the Rialto. That was 1891. I mean, there's some great history about barbecue in Georgia. And a lot of people don't think about Georgia as far as an epicenter of barbecue.
1: It's not because it's not specific. To anything, and that's, I, I kind of look at it as the elbow of bar- barbecue, where you got the pork coming down, and then it takes, obviously, it's got to take a west turn heading through Alabama, Mississippi, and then over to Texas. Um, we don't do a lot of beef here in Georgia. It's mainly pork, of course, but the main thing that I'd, that I'd rest my hat on about being the original state of barbecue is the fact that in um, there's an archaeological find in, in Savannah, Georgia, called the Biblo Mounds, and it dates back to 3,000 150 BC, so about 5,000 years old. And when they were digging underneath that, they found uh, upright post about, you know, two and a half inches round, stuck, you know, vertically in the ground with charcoal underneath it. That is a baracoa. That is a wooden, raised wooden stand right. that, you know, that's where we get the name barbecue from because baracoa is a, you know, your reader or listeners probably know that history. But that's the baracoa. It's a unique style of cooking only found in the Americas, and that's the oldest archaeological find of a barbecue grill is in Georgia. So that's why I say the original state. And then even Georgia was founded with a huge barbecue party. When Oglethorpe came over in 1732, before he founded Georgia, when he got to Charleston, they threw a huge barbecue for him. So it was the only state or colony at the time founded you know, being kicked off with a barbecue. So a variety of different things like that. But one thing, too, is we've got our own barbecue sauce, a unique style of sauce that's found no place else, Through, but just throughout this belt through mid, middle Georgia. And if your listeners want to look it up, it's, it, it's, the, it's called Mrs. Griffin's Sauce is kind of how it started. But it's a guy who, um, during the Depression, his son married a girl from South Carolina, he took the Georgia to- tomato, it's tomato paste, I guess, and the South Carolina mustard and mixed them together and made a ketchup mustard equal mix to both. And that's an orange sauce. It's, a, it's got a very orange look to it. And it's served in more places than Alabama white sauce is. There's probably, I think I counted over 75 different places because I ate a lot of Georgia barbecue um, <laughs> that, that have that orange sauce. If you go to Columbus, like Chicken Comer started out, it's the orange sauce all the way to Johnny Harris. Um, which was opened in 1924, had that uh, some sort of equal amount of mustard and ketchup together. Uh, And even the first barbecue sauce recipe was recorded by a Georgian, not just in a bottle, but written down as a recipe was recorded by a Georgian. So there's a lot of first in Georgia. Um, I don't say that Georgia barbecue is better or worse than anything, but there's there's a lot of good barbecue in Georgia. So if somebody's interested in barbecue, Georgia is a good place to explore it.
0: Absolutely. I thought you were going to tell me about the about the mounds and finding the barbacoa post there in the dirt, that they found a Big Mac in the styrofoam deal <laughs> underneath there, <clears throat> that was two thousand years old or whatever.
1: That's that's the that's the alien show right there. I'm looking for him, <laughs> the guy with the funny hair. <laughs> well,
0: you know, it, it could happen. I mean, I I found him in what was it? I saw a story not that long ago where somebody was moving and they found a Big Mac that they'd had in their freezer for. 25 years and they oh, thought they thought it out and it looked about the same as it did when they bought it so who am i to criticize Gee,
1: you know? that's kind of scary i don't sorry. you might have mcdonald's as a sponsor so i don't want to say anything about it no but-
0: i don't believe me oh, and okay. they wouldn't they wouldn't me because there's no such thing as a crib you know, there. I mean,
1: yeah, I eat one every now and again. I, I, that came out again. I guess I hadn't been out in a couple of years and I'm like, I eat it. I'm like, why did I do that? That's probably not the smartest thing to do.
0: No, um, I've, yeah. I've got a, I've got a brother-in-law who thinks it's the second coming every time that they, <sighs> that they, uh, put those, those things on the market. And I just give him hell about it all the time. It's like Jerome man those that's not barbecue. That's like pressed meat and a lot of sauce and some pickles. And he's like,
1: Nah, I love them. And, and some, some plastic thrown in there, too. Yeah, why
0: not? You and know,
1: just and that's, and again, I can't tell somebody what barbecue is and isn't. I'm not one of those people who say, ah, oh, it's not barbecue. If they want to present it, that's why I'll try to eat it. But then when I evaluate it, you know, I've got my own little. Kind of criteria when I think about eating barbecue, is it original? Does it do this? Does it do that? You know, how's this? It doesn't hit any of quiet. So I mean, it's, it is a form of barbecue. Just like I can't tell, you know, I can't go to your house or your neck of the woods and say, oh, that's not barbecue. That's not the way we do it here. And I will taste everybody's barbecue. But does it? Hit certain, you know, how was it prepared? You know, is it original? Does it does it, you know, exemplify certain ingredients? And the, the McDonald's doesn't. But I mean, again, I, I I eat it just because I'm agnostic about barbecue. I'm not going to tell somebody what it is <laughs> or isn't barbecue. If somebody wants to put oysters on a grill and, and smoke them, okay, I'll try them. Sure. Sometimes they work out. Most times they do. Actually, the oysters on a grill are great. But,
0: oh yeah, no, then, that's but part
1: of, part of those ingredients. I'm going to get back to my the original. Reason here, one of the reasons we started talking was you got to look at your wood or your charcoal as an ingredient. It's the last ingredient you put on your food because you got to have quality meat. You got to have qua quality um, rubs and marinades, but then you also got to have the the wood that you use. The charcoal you use is an ingredient, and you know this as well as I do. If you have three grills, you say Weber Kettles, and you put like say so get a pack of chicken breasts, put two breasts on each kettle and cook one with mesquite, one with hickory, and one with pecan or alder. Nothing else, but the smoke will change each one of those pieces of of chicken. They will taste different. They will look different, and they'll have a feel different. The mouthfeel will be different. There is that actual ingredient that comes off of that wood onto your food, so it makes sense to find the best ingredients. And one of those, the third ingredient, has got to be your charcoal or your wood that you use. So finding the best charcoal is going to make a difference in what you cook.
0: Which kind of leads me to uh, my next question. Right now you work with B&B, don't you? charcoal that's right yeah
1: been with them about a year and a half now
0: yep and i see them i will confess i don't think i've ever used it um just because i there's not as much there's not as much of it up here in my neck of the woods um you have to go to certain stores to get it and and those are you know 20 30 miles away from where i live but uh and that's just being lazy on my part but what makes b&b so different
1: well, and, and two things you've mentioned. One, B&B has been around since 1961, but it's been really te- Texas central. That's where they're out of Texas. They've been producing a lot of Texas. So in the past year and a half, we've expanded. We've gotten to the ACE program. So any ACE store can special order it in. ACE has 17 regional warehouses, but 5,000 ACE co-op stores. Each one of those stores can choose what they get out of the warehouse. You can go to ACE.com and, and order it and they'll deliver it to your closest ACE store. Um, so that's the easiest way to get it now, uh, and we're working on getting more and more national accounts. Uh, but the size of B&B, we're one percent the size of Kingsford. We're tiny compared to them. Maybe ten percent the size of Royal Oak. So we're not a very big business. Still a family-owned business. Um, but what makes some difference is that are the the wood that they use. It starts out. Let's use just a lump charcoal. So your listeners know there's lump charcoal and there's charcoal briquettes. Lump charcoal, natural charcoal, natural wood charcoal. All their wood is hand-selected, so private farmers are bringing in wood to the factory, to the kilns, to where the charcoal ovens are, and they're testing, they're moisture testing these pieces of wood when they come in. And if it's too old or too wet or too dry, um, they're not taking it. They only take the best quality wood. They have that opportunity to do that. Other manufacturers... Own their own forest, and when they clear a forest, they're going to use everything. Why wouldn't they? You know, they're going to use all kinds of stuff. Secondly, what that gives B and B is opportunity to to be species specific. So you put oak in the oak bag, hickory in the hickory bag, mesquite in the mesquite bag, and then we got a trabaca wood that we use that comes out of South America. That's you know, it's the big block stuff. It's, it's called axe breaker. Sure. It's really thick and. Heavy type of stuff, but that's that's like uh, it has a smaller taste profile to it, the smoke profile, but it just burns hot. Great for Kamado grills. So what makes a difference is hand selected, high quality wood goes into it. Most of that wood that you're going to get is only one season old, and that's what you want. You know, up in your neck of the woods, I can imagine you guys burn. You probably get firewood you probably might have a fireplace insert or something Mm -hmm. you if you put wood outside after five or six years it's useless to you right you don't even use that you got to use that wood within a year or two right
0: yeah you usually end up burning that old stuff just in the slash pile you know
1: okay because it's it it, once it gets too old it dries up so some of those those cell membranes of the linikins that are left in that wood are gone so a lot of other uh, charcoal manufacturers use older wood. They might store it for a while, two or three years old. That's not going to give you the same smoke quality that you're going to get from a fresher piece of wood.
0: That's very cool. We will pick this up uh, on the flip side here. We're going to take a break on Barbecue Nation. I'll be back with Ed Riley in just a couple of minutes. Please stay with us. everybody it's jt and this is a special version of barbecue nation it is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef welcome back to barbecue nation here on the sun radio networks so i'm jt along with uh Camaro, Dave, and Commander Chris and all those guys. We've got Ed Riley with us from Georgia today. Ed has had an extensive career um, in barbecue and especially on the uh manufacturer's representative side, uh, his own, his own cooking, his own barbecue collections. Um, and we've been talking uh, essentially about taste profiles, different parts of the country, um, uh, kind of significantly focused on Georgia where he lives and doing that. The the thing that's kind of um, interesting to me is Ed. Uh, I live 12 miles from where the uh, Traeger grills were originally created and invented. Okay, uh, you can still go by the old barn out there where they started, and all of that. That's cool. And I want
1: to visit that one day. Yeah. I changed the way people cook. I mean, that, that's a, that's a legit way of cooking outside. I mean, the Traeger grills. You got I mean, the concept is excellent. You've got the speed of gas, but the flavor of charcoal. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it is. It's and good, I guess. those things have have gotten huge. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Traeger and you've got Green Mountain and and you've got uh well the God the list. V-tech. Yeah, V-tech. the list just goes on and on and on at this point. Um but you know, it is, like you said, it's it's really I like me personally, I've got everything to cook with. I've got gas, I've got charcoal, I've got, um, you know, pellets, I've got blow torches, I've got everything you want, you know, like that. But what's really cool about, I think about pellets is the convenience for people too. Um, You know, they can come, they can go home, they can flip on their machine, get it warmed up, go change their clothes, bring the meal out, put it on the, on the, on the pellet grill, And it'll be done shortly. I mean, if you're not going to do a brisket and start it at, you know, seven o'clock at night when you get home from work, that's not the point. But as far as convenience, I think the pellet grill has done a remarkable job. Um, A lot of people, a majority of people still use gas grills in this country. but But the pellet grill has is Inching into that a little bit because it doesn't sure. take doesn't take long to warm up. Uh, you know, you can be up to temperature in ten minutes on some of them, and it works out great. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: So years ago, when I was still with Weber, they were sniffing around the pellet thing for a bit. This is prior prior to the smoke fire, and I, I'm not giving any corporate secret ways. I don't know anything more than they wanted to know what we thought about pellets, and so we went out. I bought a Traeger from Academy. I think paid three four hundred dollars for it. I thought, you know, We we, pre- we we you know everybody was practicing, seeing what we thought of it. And I wasn't a big fan because I thought it missed a little bit of, um, and when it comes out, it actually misses the charcoal taste that you get from charcoal because it's pure smoke, right? So right. it's apple, it's pecan, it's hickory. Um, and um, that's one of the downsides about it. And two, I, I, I felt it didn't give the charred. It never got hot enough. So it couldn't really replace gas. It couldn't really replace charcoal. but It was a nice medium didn't one, it was Memorial Day. I remember this was, I don't know, maybe five, four, five, six years ago. And we were out doing the lake thing, um, and a uh, friend of ours cut her foot. And you know it was a significant cut. She stepped on a bottle. You know, went right up into her foot. So we all hospital and all this stuff. And I had left the uh, the food on the on the Traeger on the smoker, right? So I thought, oh, Memorial Day shot. We ruined it, right? Come home. It was come back to the. It was camping. Come back to the campsite, and it was perfect. So that that convinced me that there's a spot on my deck for that for that pellet grill because that's exactly what you just mentioned. You can set it and forget it, and it and it it literally tasted. Really good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it wasn't competition ribs, but I know you can do some competition ribs on them a bit. But the idea that you could walk away from it and the the, the controls and everything that's on that thing just cooked it while we were, you know, emergency room, wait, four or five hours later, I thought everything was going to be ruined. You can't do that on a charcoal grill. You can't do that on a gas grill. It would have been ruined. But that Traeger held the temperature, cooled it down when it needed to, and everything was fine. So that convinced me that there is a spot on my deck, and there is for, for, for a Traeger grill. And by the way, I've got. One of those old roll up tops from Joe Traeger's thing. You, you remember those things like the old the old desk that to have that little yeah. spotted thing that yeah. roll up and down and the the, the, the pellet spin is up front. <laughs> so it's not the oldest one. I think that was about a ninety-seven or ninety-eight. And I think he started ninety-four. So I'd love to get a ninety-four Traeger out there, but I'm sure they're collectible. But uh yeah, so there's a spot for, for, for pellets. And uh um one thing that we've done at B and B is we've been able to take that charcoal flavor that's missing, and we have it on our Jack Daniel pellets, because the Jack Daniels pellets are made out of the charcoal barrel. So the Jack Daniels, you know, chars the inside of their oak barrels, Right. store the whiskey right. in, and then once they store it, the barrel's got to go. We, we grind that char up and make our charcoal pellets. So Jack Daniels charcoal pellets... Or a pellet that has charcoal in it, plus, as they say in, uh, I guess, Louisiana, it got a little lot not a little something extra, got the little Jack Daniels taste going on there. But what I what I do with that is I don't cook straight, straight with them. I use about a cup for every pound of pellets. So you get that apple smoke, that hickory smoke, that post oak smoke that you want, and then a little charcoal smoke in there too. So it gives you that missing charcoal flavor that you get you don't get from pellets. And ours again is, is you know it's made right from the. The, the barrels from, from the Jack Daniels distillery. So you've got that hard Oak wood give you the high BTUs in there, but then you also get that char taste too. That it's just very familiar when you cook outside over a fire, you get that char taste. So that's, and then another important thing too, we were talking before the break about how the, um, the Keiner family, they're the, the, the German immigrants that that own B and B. they're very efficient. So after they get done, with their wood, and uh, they, they make wood logs, wood chips, and wood chunks. When they get done with the wood chips and chunks, they scrape that, the the, the, remainer, the remaining dust off of that, and that's what we make our pellets out of. So all our pellets, our B&B pellets, are made exclusively from a wood, chip, and chunk process. We don't use fillers. We don't use industrial scraps. Um, we never use flavor oils. A lot of companies, if you read online, use flavor oils because what they'll do is they'll claim. It's hardwood, but it might be hardwood that's left over from furniture in industry. Uh, Alder is one of the main, I guess, one of the main sources of wood, and that's the main piece of wood that's in uh, bed frames and furniture. So that could be pretty old wood. Yes, it's a nice hard wood but it, let's say it's five six years old, and it could be treated It's already lumbered so that's why a lot of companies have to add the flavor oils back in there. We don't add flavor oils because our apple is from our apple wood and it's just it was just killed you know six months ago so uh, it's a fresher ingredient you'll find the b and b pellet's going to hold up longer because when we compress them there's still some of that sap that's in there. They're not moisture proof for the moisture resistance they don't expand as much. A lot of other woods are drier, so they they have to add a lot of like um, a binder, the, the rice or, or corn starch binder, you put a lot in there. And then if you leave your pellets out on a moist morning, they expand. Ours won't do that because it's we don't put a lot of binder in it. Very little corn starch binder in ours. It's a lot of Atlanticans that the sap that's naturally occurs in wood forms a casein on the outside of it. So they're a little more resistant to moisture absorption. They're a little tougher, they're harder, and they're fresher wood. So you get a pure wood taste to it. So, whatever type of pellet grill you got try some of our pellets in that grill and i think you'll be happy
0: uh it sounds good to me i'm gonna i'm gonna get some and i'm gonna try them ed Riley is gonna stick around i think for the after hours which is fun that's where we can swear and not get in trouble um, and so FCC
1: is not listing,
0: not not listing at all. Uh, remember, if you like more information about the show, you can go to um, Barbecue Nation. That's bbqnationjt uh, dot com. There's the website there. It's got a few pictures of some guests and how to contact us, and uh, there's a few things on there. And uh, Ed and I are going to go do the after hours. So if that's the end of it, uh, we'll see you next week right Thank here. You. You're welcome. We'll see you next week right here on Barbecue Nation.